To another episode of Dropkick Basement, uh, one of, if not your favorite, pro wrestling uh, history podcasts. Um, my name, Mike Madden. Uh, I go by the franchise around here. Uh, I am your host with uh, with some some of the most, but not all of the most. Um, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, uh, the guys that uh, that bring some entertainment to this uh, to this shindig. Uh, we got uh, Certified Five, uh, Matt Geiger. Matt, uh, that's me. And Mike, you bring most of the most. most I bring most the, of the least most, of the most. Least of the most. Um, you're doing well, Matt. I hope. I trust. Yeah, yeah. I'm here. Um, I I feel like shit, but I'm here. Okay, you know? great. <laughs> it's good to know that we have a health update for me. Really bringing the fire today. Bringing the fire, but <laughs> and uh, and our second co-host here, uh, Tommy Schultz, uh, Mister No Gimmicks Needed or gimmickless uh, Tommy Schultz for a very interesting three set of episodes about gimmicks. Uh, how do you feel about being uh, Mr. No Gimmicks Needed in this? Unfortunately, I can never be included in one of these lists. <laughs> um, and I will bring the middle of the most, just like, um, you know, if you don't need a gimmick, you just ride that mid card, baby. That's right. Yeah, you're you're a... So a, if, if, if we were talking about gimmicks and I'm a certified five, does it actually make me lesser of a gimmick because i'm just mediocre yeah it would it would almost like, be I, like it would be I, you'd, you'd actually be, be i'd be better off if i had a shittier gimmick yeah you'd be job squad job yeah. squad centric <laughs> uh for sure uh just count me, the me lights and richards and uh handicap matches that's right yeah <laughs> yeah um you know make sure that you're uh you're you're prepared to uh to to just shine up that main eventer and make them look good for uh for tv um Speaking of that, great dovetail. We're talking about gimmicks. Uh, the month of September uh, around here for uh, for the Dropkick Basement is all about uh, gimmicks, memorable gimmicks, goofy gimmicks, stupid gimmicks, uh, whatever you may may want to say. Pro wrestling, the landscape has been littered with it, dating back to the to the original, you know, uh, the the Gold Dust Trio and and all those guys from the from the forties, like they're. There's always an element of uh, characters and buffoonery uh, surrounding pro wrestling. Um, you, when you talk about it, even, even before we get into what we've broken down uh, for these set of episodes, we talk about guys like Gorgeous George, um, who was the original gimmick. Um, uh, you got Haystacks Calhoun, uh, who was a big mountain man. You've got uh, you know guys like the Assassins, who are a masked tag team. That could do like mass confusion and and one guy replaces another guy in the match. Um, so what our idea and what our concept was getting into the month of September was to do uh, break it down by by decades uh, and and we're gonna the three of us are gonna host uh, individual episodes over the the next uh, three sessions where we take a decade and we created a almost like a March Madness style bracket of sixteen. Uh, eligible wrestlers or personalities in pro wrestling uh, for each of those decades and carry them through to see who might have the best gimmick for that particular decade. 
Um, so, uh, Tommy, I think you said that you had uh, a kind of a unique time putting together the 90s, which will be our next episode. We're going to start with the 80s, but uh, I just yeah. want to get in your head a little bit um, as a precursor. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your uh, your venture to the 90s. So going through the 90s, it was like, I would say, well, first of all, you know, that's the wrestling that I grew up on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I was born in 89, so the uh, the 90s was... Mike was what? a junior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what, um, as a child, what attracted me was these over-the-top, larger-than-life personalities, mm-hmm. and... I feel like, um, especially in the wrestling um, on television at the time, mainly WWF, WCW, the characters were portrayed as these larger-than-life, wild characters, more so on the entertainment side than the Mm -hmm. wrestling side at that time. You know, so, like, when I'm going through... I made a list of like 60. I had a list of 65 names at one point. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, okay, am I going to put the best gimmicks of the 90s, mm-hmm. the worst gimmicks of the 90s, the most outlandish? So it, it's real, I put real to, hard to leave Quang out of that. Oh, wait, hey, no spoilers. Put, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me the, you have him. He on was on the list of 65. <laughs> I'm oh, not going to tell you whether or not he was yeah. on, on, on my bracket. But so um, I made two separate brackets mm-hmm. when I was doing it because I didn't know which direction I wanted to go in. Um, but I felt like it came to a point where I was like, if I just go with like the best gimmicks of the nineties, it's yeah. going to be a very cut and dry, um, boring episode. So we want to avoid that. Yes. We'll, <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll wind up, uh, we'll go more into it. Um, Next episode, yes. when we get into yes. exactly who is on my list and uh, how I decided to go for it, but you know, it's 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 a it's the the nineties was the wild west the, of the wild wrestling west of, gimmicks of, of, for sure. Yeah, there's like four hundred things you could pick from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was ring announcers with gimmicks. Yes, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> dude, you could pick a year and do an and entire bracket off yeah. for one year. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I feel the same way, and I'll talk about that when we get to my bracket in a little bit. But, you know, given that Tommy has done the mo- what seems like the most research and the most legwork when it comes to this, um, we always volley the ball back to Matt, who um, historically... Doesn't uh, do any preparation. Lis- listeners of the show will know this, that, that Matt comes sometimes a little ill-prepared. But I think, Matt, um, what's your... I, I think really more or less like the, the criteria of so- gimmicks for you. Yeah, so mine was uh, I would I wouldn't say it was tougher um, because it was very easy to come. I had a I actually had a decent sized list, uh, but what I wound up doing was because a lot of the gimmicks that existed in the early two thousands were gimmicks that were started in the nineties. I mm. kind of had to omit a lot of the big time gimmicks like uh, Mankind or Degeneration X or Under oh, sure, yeah. like the yeah. actual gimmicks. Um, 
And then what I what I decided to do instead was uh, settle for what I found to be the most interesting gimmicks or the really really bad ones. Good, <laughs> that's what I like to hear is that. There, um, but there's like, some there, here. there's definitely like there's there's a lot in there. There's a lot in here to dissect and break down. Um, so I think we will have fun with it. Uh, and like I said, a little a couple of curveballs. Um, it was probably better off that I didn't take as long to do my research because I probably could have found things worse than what I actually have yeah. written down. Which, <laughs> once you read, once you hear this list, you're gonna be like, "There's no way it could have gotten worse." And then, yes, it could have oh yes, it could have. Of sure. Of oh course. yeah, of course. And something that you touched on uh, for a second that I don't know if we brought up yet, but the whole premise of it is the gimmick itself had to have been originated in the decade, yes. not yes. just. Uh, worked in Correct. the decade right. that right. Um, you were given, assigned, chosen, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, I, it had I would to be originated money, then. I would bet money that at least somewhere along the line we're going to cross paths. Not okay. with like, not with a, not with the same gimmick, but uh, probably a with a, the same um, person, a talent that Port, had portraying yes. Yes. exactly for sure. Yeah, somebody jumping gimmicks, or even like again, like a, a, I think there's probably going to be some crossover with like a like a gimmick archetype that's going to like, Hey, this guy, you know, not necessarily the same character playing him, but like, Little you people. know, the, the ECW version of this gimmick is the same as the current, you know, the, or the more modern version of it. Like the, See, the, there's definitely stuff I that would, like, they would, go to the I well. I would beg you, I would beg you to find a similar gimmick to 80% of the ones on my list. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing yours, but we're, we have to go in chronological order here. So uh, and, and that means we are going to start with you, Mike. So once again, we've started. I I, I represent the uh, the elder statesman. Um, I'm taking the '80s uh, on head on, and when I think of gimmicks, and when I think of my bracket, I'm going more for um, kind of a like a hodgepodge, like a variety of guys that are that are certainly were memorable, and certainly like um, like you know unique portrayals, and then some that are. Uh, just outlandish and goofy. Like I, I, I like goofy as a as a good reason. Like there's got to you know, hey, even if they're a little bit serious um, as a heel, there's still like goofy elements to them and mannerisms about them that make me uh, that draw me to them. So, uh, without further ado, uh, I'm going to start off, and I'm actually uh, here a further explanation. Something that I did kind of at the last minute for both of these. Uh, for actually for the for the full bracket that I did, but I broke it up into two groups of eight on my bracket. Um, I've got the WWF gimmicks, um, which there were eight unique WWF gimmicks, and then I've got gimmicks that originated in other territories. Um, so that's how I kind of differentiated. I didn't necessarily do. I actually selected them and put them into matchups based on just a random wheel with everybody's name on it. So um, I went real random with the matchups, or kind of random with the matchups, I'll say. So um, are you guys ready for uh, to start this? Uh, I'm dying to hear it. And okay. uh, I, may, I may be even in for like a little bit of a history lesson. Well. I'm very interested to see where this goes. Get ready for your history lesson. It's always, it's always fun to, to share history with you guys and the listeners. Um, and, uh, and I think at the end of the... Uh, at the end of this, uh, I will still, and I think this is something that we, we should all do, is uh, pick a match or two uh, to encourage folks to uh, to watch with 
some of, if not all, of our gimmick wrestlers, or as many. Uh, as and when he says when he says scores folks to watch, it's me doing my homework. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I'm going to start in my non WWF uh, bracket. Okay. Where I've got the uh, the first name in the eight seed is Colonel De Beers. Now for the uneducated, uh, Colonel De Beers is gimmick. Uh, he was a militant uh, South African apartheid supporter. Um, this gimmick originated in, I think he started it in Portland. Because uh, the guy, uh, Ed, Ed Wazinski, um, he did a bunch of gimmicks. And he started in Portland with Don Owens and, and Portland Wrestling. But really like picked up steam in, I want to say, 86 in the AWA and lasted through the rest of the decade uh, in the AWA doing this. He would feud with Snuka. Um, he would do like real scumbag things. Like he didn't want, they, were, they had a black referee on staff and oh, he boy. said, I don't want the black referee to referee my match. And if I have to, I don't mind forfeiting um, just real, like bitter racist <laughs> stuff um, and militant and, uh, you know, he he did the pile driver on the outside and put Snook in a neck brace at one point. Um, ended up feuding with, uh, you know, I think Sergeant Slaughter. He had a long feud in the AWA with, um, where it's like I'm Mister USA and I'm the we're the land of the free and and everybody. And De Beers was like that foil. Like basically anybody in that territory, um, you could work and uh, and you could put this. And you know, again, it's you're wrestling mostly in Minnesota and like the, the, like the, you know, the Midwest. So like blue collar central where it's easy to get that character to be hated. Oh, and it, yeah. I mean, mostly like he's on ESPN TV too. And it was just like, <laughs> like he got, you know, he, from what I understand, like he got like more letters than anybody else. They were like, get him off television uh, blah blah blah. Like this is offensive. This is terrible. And so he's he's the he's the version of Leo Kruger that worked. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, this is this was this was <laughs> burning heat at the time. And he, um, you know, he didn't he didn't really go anywhere else. Like I think maybe, I mean, he came. Like I said, he came from Portland. He worked in the WWF for a little while before he was Colonel De Beers under his real name. Um, but he like he you know he stuck to it. Like he figured out like. You know, if I'm, you know, if I'm gonna ride this out, I've got an easy audience that I can piss off in the northeast, in the uh, I should say in the in the Midwest and uh, up north that uh, that I can make money with. So, Colonel De Beer is making my uh, making my number eight spot in the non, in, well, let's say the territory bracket. And he would be going up against your one seed in the non-territory. And my my one seed in the non-territory is the Great Kabuki. Ooh. And the Great Kabuki was a, a again another perfect villain in the territory days. Like you know, again the the gimmick itself. You know, I don't remember what the real wrestler's name was. Forgive me on that. Um, but he he was the master of the martial arts. He was the mysterious, face painted, sinister. He was managed by Gary Hart and Arman Hussein in. Uh, in Florida and in world class. Uh, he wrestled a little bit like Puerto Rico. 
um, eventually made it to the WWF and was in one of the Royal Rumbles. Um, but for U.S. audiences, he was the one who uh, originated the Poison Fog yep. or the Mist or the Spew. Um, he kind of kept it like he was more like the uh, like the green and the red mist than what his kayfabe uh, son would do. His kayfabe son was the great Muda. Um, who would incorporate the yellow and the blue for different, um, you know, different effects and 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 all of that? But he was uh, not a great worker uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly a guy that would come in and and he's, you know, he's going to be wrestling against your top your top tier guys. Like he had feuds with the Von Erichs, he had feuds with Dusty Rhodes, he had feuds with. Um, Barry Windham when he went down to Florida and worked there. Um, and he eventually he turned babyface in world class. And he was, I think he was managed by like Miss Sunshine or something. Um, but he was a unique character. Again, like when I go back to like my early days watching wrestling and the great Muda was on television, he had like wacky entrance masks. And um, it was always like, well, what's when's the mist going to come out? Like you'd love to see the mist and, uh, he would do like a tricky, like, you know, again, he's not, he's not running around the ring like his, his son would, but, uh, but you know, he got himself into a corner or he would like do a spin twirl, um, and put his head down and then hit you with the mist. And it was like, Oh, ooh, ah, mm-hmm. so, um, so always captivating. Um, always again, like I said, it, it ends up being like, you know, specific, never really was a national gimmick and never made it big time, big time. But for, uh, for those territory days, like, you know, he certainly, uh, he made an impact and, and he was an important guy to put up there against your, uh, your white meat baby faces. So that takes care of the first two. Um, then my next two, my five and my four, um, both are tag teams. And I didn't, I, I didn't, when we went over our, uh, our production notes, uh, I didn't say like that we had to shy away where it had to be all individual wrestlers. Oh, uh, I have, yeah. I have a plethora of. Oh, mixtures. good. All right. All right. Very good. I'm, I'm glad you guys thought about this. Um, so my first tag team kind of obscure, but might've been one of the more interesting gimmicks, uh, of its time. Uh, we go back to Jim Crockett promotions, uh, the NWA in 1987, there was a tag team, uh, the new breed. And the new breed was, uh, I believe Chris champion and Sean Royal. They were, they came out to they're in the TBS studio. They came out to fight your right to party by, uh, the beastie boys. And mm-hmm. originally it was just like, they're kind of like, kind of hip hoppy like white dudes doing like a hip hoppy gimmick and like, you know, sticking their tongues out and being kind of rude and, and stuff. But then when, you know, and that's what they were doing in the ring and kind of, you know, trying to get a little bit of crowd heat that way. And, um, but then when they did their promos, uh, things took a extreme turn because they claimed to be from the year 2000, I believe it was 2010. Um, don't quote me on that, but it was it was there from the fu- they were from the future. Okay. And in the year 2010, the president of the United States is Dusty Rhodes. So they would talk on their promos 
uh, about flying cars and they've been sent here to, um, you know, take over pro wrestling and win the tag team titles and then get back in our rockets and jets and fly back to the future and uh, present the belts to President Dusty. Uh, so look out rock and roll express. Here we come. Like just so like bizarre and partly not really well thought out. Uh, so it was very much a yeah. Rap rap robots from the future. Yeah. 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 You know, it almost sounds like a idiocracy. (laughs) Yeah. It's that's funny that you say that. Like, I think it's got more idiocracy than the movie idiocracy, um, ended up having, uh, well, little known fact about idiocracy. I'm just going to throw this in because my Asperger's just kicked in. But, yes, um, please. uh, in the movie idiocracy, the shoes that they wear, uh, they ordered because they were super cheap and they looked like shit. Oh, um, see. And, and they bought the company. The company wound up being Crocs. <laughs> they, no, but this is a, the, the movie company bought Crocs. Oh, did they? Yeah. So oh. everybody in idios in, in idiocracy wears Crocs, and the guy was like, "No, this company's going to fold. We're like, they're going to be and nothing." Then, and now they are and then like it became one of the biggest shoe companies in the world. The predominant idiot shoe company. That's that's yes. That's, now, that's a now, if thought. they wrestled in Crocs in in the eighties, <laughs> they were from two thousand ten. No, you would have nailed it right on the head. Um, but it, the, the one thing I will say about the new breed is they were kind of like good in the ring, like you know they. They didn't keep up with the Midnight Express, so they couldn't really keep up with the Rock and Roll Express. But like for squash matches, they were exciting. They did a lot of top rope stuff. So I think like part of the idea was like these are the wrestlers of the future, and they're going to be like a hybrid of like power guys and high flyers. Um, and then it was like, well, we really want to get this thing over with the future. So what can we add to this? Oh, I got it. They're from 2010. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the booker oh. is the president in the future so hey wonder wonder who wrote that yeah i was gonna say like uh, i feel like <laughs> i feel like big duft was in the room saying hey baby what, what, i'm it, gonna be president one day what's gonna what's, what's really gonna put this over the top if you say the big duft is the president if you will so they they are the number five seed in this bracket and they they go up against uh a team that i believe had two matches on television uh, in the very end of the decade, uh, 1989, two matches in pro wrestling, but uh, pro wrestling, longtime pro wrestling fans and historians and people who know anything about bullshit gimmicks will remember the Ding Dongs. Ooh. So the Ding Dongs, uh, I, I don't know if one was called Ding and the other one was called Dong, or if they were Ding Dong 1 and Ding Dong 2, uh, but they very historically had a match on i think the clash of champions uh-huh. uh in 89 when you know you got the nwa is at a crossroads <laughs> uh we didn't have president dusty around anymore uh as the booker we had george scott and we had a committee of very intelligent people backstage that were all being led to the slaughter by jim hurd and jim hurd said give me a team that's got bells on their gear and they have a big bell in the corner that they ring to get the fans behind them and into it. And this, this thing, is not what I thought it actually was going to be. This I'm thing. I forgot it was the non WWF yeah. uh, bracket Oy. because if it was a WWF bracket, it would have been the most racist Asian team on the planet. Oh, f- of, of course. Yeah. But this thing died a death immediately. It was like, first of all, 
they're both guys were in in body suits and masks and i don't even know who played them um so gear wise they look like shit they were like big yeah. orange and there's uh, just a big bell in the, pink, on their chest. There's a, there's big bells on the on the corner post that the one, like one guy would tag in, the other guy would as they were doing their and they did f- like six million tags. And when the guy got out to the apron to like get the fans into it, he would ring a giant bell in the corner, like they had one hooked up to the to the turnbuckle post. Yep. And he was con 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 the whole time. And it like Jim, I think Jim Ross was like. Um, historically like said something on commentary like i don't know what to make of the ding-dongs but i'd like them to really just kind of take a step back here <laughs> um and th- I, again like i think they they did that clash of champions they did like one other set of tv tapings and it was like this thing sucks get this far away from us as possible uh whoever's running this company is starting to lose their mind so um so the ding-dongs uh, make that uh, that matchup against the bad breed in the first round. So they came up a lot in my research. I guess uh, it was close enough to the '90s, or maybe sure. they had yeah. dipped into the '90s. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, ding dongs, ding dongs. I'd say if it was like the ring dings, and instead of bells, they were just like dressed like Drake's cakes. Uh, I could certainly. <laughs> I'd see be all like, about that. I would see like the throwing Drake's cakes into the sky. Yeah, please. Ding dong's not as much as ring dings. Wow. I'm a ring dings guy. Ring I'm ding. a ring dings like I'm like I. There's Heyman guys. I'm a ring dings guy. <laughs> ring ding guy. <laughs> I, I don't know if that if you guys uh, had ever heard this story, but uh, Jr. I think oh. when this was brought up, the the uh, the thought of the ding dongs, um, there was someone else in the booking room that also pitched the same person, I believe pitch the hunchbacks yes jim, uh jim hurd's uh, yes. great idea for the hunchbacks was um they have a hump on their back so they can never get pinned yep to which i think what? i think kevin's <laughs> I, I think kevin sullivan's answer to that was well what if i just dug a hole in the ring and i buried him in the hole and then i could jump in the hole <laughs> oh my and God. bury myself kevin sullivan was a hunchback <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So yes, what's gonna stop me from him and, him and George the Animal Steel or the Hunchbacks? They just the Hunchbacks never made TV. <laughs> so unfortunately, uh, they would make this list though if we, they ever. Well, <laughs> listen, one hundred percent. By the way, I, Tommy, I don't know if you, I don't know if anybody just saw that, but um, I think unintentionally the um, the label on your beverage was just blurred out when you lifted up to take a sip. Oh. I don't, I don't know. What we, yeah, we, we didn't. <laughs> like, we didn't copyright we're not, this. We're not professionally recording this. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. This, this, Let me see if it works on my side. Zoom mini. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> Sponsored by High New. Please, uh, anybody at the uh, the Bush uh, the Bush Light uh, team or anybody at High Noon, if they want to sponsor uh, Dropkick Basement, uh, follow us. Uh, DM. Slide into the DMs on Twitter at DKick Basement. Um, so yeah, let me let me move on from uh from ding dongs and and sponsorship plugs uh we're gonna get to the 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 bottom half of this bracket uh my number six seed is the missing link and now the missing link solid solid was a very memorable guy for the green face paint and the shaved head with only the like high ponytail or tuft of hair coming out of it uh wore the the brody-esque like fur boots um, smashed everything with his head. Uh, that was pretty much his whole offense was a body slam, a backbreaker, and then dive at you with his head. Uh, 
Dewey Robertson was uh, was the wrestler before he was a missing link, and he was a solid enough hand for like Mid South. I think this gimmick was developed in Mid South, if I'm correct, in like eighty two, eighty two or eighty three. Um, missing link again, Mid South. He kind of started off, and then he went to world class, big time world class guy. Um, Back to the UWF in the Mid-South. Uh, had a stint in WWF very briefly. And uh, was managed by, originally managed by Bobby Heenan. And Bobby Heenan famously says uh, he was the most difficult guy that he ever managed. Because he wanted to wear the face paint everywhere. He's like, well, this is my gimmick. Like, if I'm going through the airport, I want to wear the face paint going through the airport. Gimmick. This is a guy who didn't really like. Again, he he probably rode in cars in uh, from spot to spot in Oklahoma and Louisiana and down in Texas. But he's up in WWF and he's got to take a plane from you know the TV tapings in Poughkeepsie to you know Toronto or wherever, and he, he wanted to go through the airports with the with the face paint on. And Heenan's like, so he said to Heenan, and I don't speak, like I just grunt. So, um, you know, when you meet me, you know, downstairs at the hotel, just make sure that we're, you know, get me in the car and then, you know, you'll have to you know, buy my plane tickets for me. And, and Heenan's like, at the end of the show, that's when our relationship ends. He's like, I walk you out <laughs> to the ring. I walk you back to the locker room. And then I wipe my hands of you. I'm not your concierge. I'm not your your gopher boy. Like this isn't a real manager situation. I don't know what what you what arrangements you had other places, but th- no, this isn't happening. And uh, shortly after he started, he was with Heenan for like six months, not even six months. Uh, they he was traded to uh, to Jimmy Hart uh, in exchange for. Uh, what was he traded for? I think it was for Bundy. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was traded for a megaphone handle. It was it was Ad- Adrian Adonis and the missing link to Jimmy Hart for King one King Kong Bundy. Ooh. So always, you know, keep that in mind if you're ever talking about trades in pro wrestling. They actually happen. Definitive winner and loser in that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was short for WWF. He was out by like the uh, like the fall of '85, back down to Dallas, back down to to Bill Watts territory. Kind of fizzled after there. Like again, the type of guy who just looks completely odd and completely weird, um, but didn't really have that much going for him in the uh, like. Even if he was a babyface, it's you know it's going to be short lived, right? Like you're. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to you're going to pair him up like because the manager's abusive, like you're going to pair him up with, you know, I think, again, it was like Dark Journey in, in UWF because Skandor Akbar was mistreating the missing link. So um, so we uh, so we go from the missing link um, to another W. Well, another uh, NWA creation, short lived um, Lasertron. And if you've seen the picture of Lasertron... That's a real thing? Oh, no, it's a real thing. Yeah. Uh, Lasertron's gimmick is basically... uh, It's if a pro wrestler really loved laser tag. And uh, he's another one who's sort of a space alien. uh, Or like a future man. But he might also be kind of a robot. Um, 
and he was played. He was played it by. Sounds, it sounds like Awesomeo from South. Park. Yes, yes. What the fuck? It's legit Awesomeo. My from- name is Awesomeo. <laughs> um, I just pulled up the picture. And- the picture, yeah. He's got the the the, the mesh mask, like the beekeeper mm-hmm. mask. Yeah, which he wrestled in. This is Hector Guerrero underneath all that. Um, oh, okay. Who's fucking good? <laughs> yeah, um, like who? Who? Yes, yeah. right. Like, let's you know, uh, you know, we don't, we don't really let's have take much a great going on, and, and just murder it. Yeah, uh, we have, you know, w- yeah, we could certainly like appeal him to the uh, the Latin American crowd and the Spanish crowd that watches our show. No, no, no. Let's put him in this. No, instead, let's put a mask on him. Hideous B outfit, uh, and he's got laser. He's basically got the laser tag thing like sewn into his uh, into the front patch of his uh, of his leotard. Um, he was a theoretically. If he got hit with a laser in the middle of a match, he would lose. Yeah, well, f- of course. But you'd have to bring. A, you'd have to remember to bring your laser, and the referee's going to confiscate that. Or charge that. your gun before the match starts. Yes, exactly. You know? um, but that's what laser laser tag was a was a big craze in the mid eighties. Um, they had a home kit, and they had places that would open up. You you would go to laser tag. But uh, he was for a very brief period of time. He was also the NWA uh, junior heavyweight champion. Um, so it's not like he was unsuccessful. He won some gold, uh, and they also, uh, paired him up in a tag team with the boogie woogie man, uh, Jimmy Valiant, um, which was always the weirdest tag team, which is, which is great. Like on the promos, here's, you know, a wild, handsome Jimmy doing his, uh, baby, baby, you know, oh, this is my main man, laser tag and laser Tron. And we're going to, you know, we're going to take over the future. And uh, ironically enough, they never were put into a program with the new breed because, you know, you could have battled for the future at that point and uh, and really had a go of it. So um, Lasertron makes my number three. I've got two more for this bracket. Uh, my number seven in this bracket is Lord Humongous. Okay. And Lord Humongous was a territory Familiar. gimmick. It was based off of the movie Mad Max. Uh, and it was, so the character humongous in the Mad Max movies is a guy that basically wears demolitions gear, like the bondage, like, uh, you know, with, yeah. the, with the studded cuffs and the, the cross crisscross chest thing, but he wears a hockey mask. And this was a, this was a Memphis gimmick. This was a continental gimmick, a little bit of, uh, Texas in there too, originally played by. Future world heavyweight champion, Sid Vicious. Um, he was original Lord Humongous. He was actually Humongous in Memphis, managed by uh, Paulie Dangerously as his as the first man that he managed um, in the Memphis Territory. Uh, so that's a fun fact. Uh, he was Fred I, was Paul guy. That, yeah, I was going to say, I bet money that Paul Heyman did not find that uh, entertaining. Well, no, Paul Heyman just like being on TV and Humongous didn't talk. So I get to do all the talking for this giant guy who's going to, and he had matches with Lawler and, and probably won the, you know, the Southern heavyweight title a couple times and Lawler won it 213 times from him. Um, but he made friends with the right people. So he got in with Eddie Gilbert and Eddie Gilbert brought him to continental and they brought humongous to continental. And eventually that's what got him a look. And he was on his way to, to WCW as Sid Vicious later, but Humongous again. It was it was based off of that that Mad Max that that Road Warrior movie. Um, and ironically enough, I I refrained from at the time. I refrained from putting the actual Road Warriors into this uh, into this bracket 
just because they were super, super successful. Um, and Hawk didn't think he was an actual flying bird. <laughs> well, I was also going to say, yeah, for sure. Um, but it's, it's kind of hard to like pinpoint what the road warriors gimmick was besides like guys that wore a helm, uh, oh, shoulder were, pants with spikes coming out of them. Like they're just badass guys. They were a biker. They were, they started as a biker gang. So that's right. Really, and then, I mean, very, very scarcely did you ever see them ride motorcycles. Oh, oh they, rode, well, they rode motorcycles a bunch, but like they were, it was supposed to be like in the movie Mad Max, you have a lot of these guys right, that are right, like right, in right. these, uh, it's like a post apocalyptic. Post apocalyptic. Yeah. That's exactly, that's the word that, that we should all be thinking of. Um, so Lord Humongous is number, number seven to close out the, uh, the non WWF or the, or the territory bracket. Uh, my last guy is the Ugandan giant Kamala. And um, front runner originated in Memphis, uh, worked everywhere, made money everywhere. Uh, the cannibal, uh, mumbling, uh, he had his manservant Friday or kimchi later on. I remember who, kimchi, I don't remember. Friday. Yeah, kimchi was the, the, when he when he made it to the WWF, it was kimchi, but it was Friday was his uh his handler he every territory also had a manager hey uh tommy correct yes. me if i'm wrong because i feel like you'd probably have a better answer than i do uh wrestled friend of the show joey janela mm. uh, uh almost certainly yeah yeah i, I, I almost, almost positive yeah well, before yeah. he lost his feet before he lost his feet in his life yeah um yeah. but uh the well, rest in peace yeah rest in peace well rp Put out a great uh, soul album. Yeah, he right, he did. He, uh, he he cut a cut a few records, but he also um, again. I was just talking about the litany of managers. Like he would be the foreign menace that they would bring in. JJ uh, Dillon had him in Florida and in Memphis. Akbar had him. Mister Fuji had him. Uh, the Wizard Curtis Ikea had him. Blassie had him for a little while. Um, allegedly, like it, they made it seem when he was on an episode of TNT that he made it look like he ate a live chicken. Um, oh, God. Yeah, they, they did a nice camera cut where they, they he was pulling a chicken out of a cage on, like, the table in front of, like, Alfred Hayes. And then they did a quick cut away to uh, to the to the side, and then they came back, and the chicken was gone, and he had feathers around his mouth. Um, so uh, so he inhaled an entire chicken in yes, one bite. Yeah, just uh, basically just... Uh, just <laughs> just house the chicken alive. So Looney, Tunes, Looney Tunes cough take of Sylvester. Yeah. Just- <laughs> yeah. There, you're right. And there, there's 45, uh, 45 pounds of feathers coming out of his mouth. Um, so that wraps up my, uh, my, my first round for the, uh, for the territory guys. Uh, I'm going to go quick with the other guys. Cause uh, you're going to know most of these characters and, and most of these fellas. Um, so here, the rest of these guys were, uh, Characters that originated in the WWF. Um, so I'm going to go with my number eight, uh, who is Outback Jack. Okay. Uh, WWF and the Northeast Territory love doing the, uh, the the gimmick of you're the guy from a different country. Yep. You know, they had Strongbow. Crikey. They had Strongbow f- to, to represent the Native Americans. They had Putski for the Polish. They had Bruno for the Italians, and then we get Chitanka. to like eighty seven, there le- or eighty six, and they were like, "We don't anybody for the Australians." They call up 
what is Outback Jack? And Outback Jack apparently was a guy who had very little training. They sent him to to, to work out with Stu Hart. Um, and Stu was like, yeah, he's got pretty big bones and, and you can probably <laughs> stretch him. Um, he had like a brief little push when he first came in. Like the vignettes were like, you know, he's walking through the airport. He's like, can't wait to get to the WWF and wrestle all them guys and hang out with my friends like Hulk Hogan. Um, and then, uh, like, good night, mate. And then, you know, he came in and he was just the shits. He was awful. Um, he had fun. Timey Kangaroo Down was his uh, his theme entrance. Um, and he sometimes carried a boomerang. Uh, but within like two months, they were like, we can't do shit with this guy. He's not over. Let's make him a jobber. And I think he lasted about a year and a half there. They jobbed him out. And uh, I don't think he ever went back to wrestling unless he went back to Australia and wrestled there. But now correct me if I'm wrong, but like mm-hmm. when it comes to stuff like this is like, this is a very like of the time pop culture thing. Yeah. This yeah. is like, this was around the time that Paul Hogan movie came was out. Was Crocodile right? Dundee. Yeah. 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 Crocodile yeah. Dundee, yeah. Right. So like, they were like, okay, well here's the that's a super thing. popular thing. <laughs> Boom, right. here we go. We need the wrestling. They were event. like they, they were like that's not a wrestler. This is a wrestler. Whether you like <laughs> whether you want it or not, this is the uh pro wrestling version of Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I uh, do vaguely remember or either seeing this or um or like looking at something maybe it was like in my in my studies today for the mm, last couple of hours, yeah. but um I I very vaguely remember None of it going well. Oh, it didn't. Well, there like, was not, there was not a, any single part of it. There was another one in the '90s, which I may touch on as in next episode. That could be the one yeah. that I'm thinking of, and I, that's I think probably because, the one uh, you're thinking of. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see how this dovetails back. But he would go up against uh, the number one seed on the WWF side, who is the Honky Tonk Man. Oh, and the Honky Tonk Man, extreme. Like, this is the thing. Like, extremely Might still successful. be working. Is, well, he, he's always working, brother. Honky's, oh, Honky's got. Um, you tell them I'm still available. Uh, Honky Tonk Man, WWE, <laughs> WWE Hall of Famer. Um, they will wheel him out into the middle of a ring for Royal Rumble. They should have wheeled him out last week when the Gunther, greatest Intercontinental Champion of all Gunther, time. I'm sure they called and they probably lowballed him, and he was like, "I'm not coming for anything less than." You know, my full trans, I get two weeks vacation after that. I get to put on the payroll. Uh, what uh, such a character away from the ring, character in the ring. Um, it, eventually, like you talk to somebody who's not even like a, a they're a casual fan now. But if they're of a certain age, they're going to say, oh, yeah, I remember wrestling. I remember watching the Honky Tonk Man and hating the Honky Tonk Man um, when he would go up against Savage or or Steamboat or whoever it was. Um just a uh, great, just a great like heat gimmick for sure. The guy who is the Elvis impersonator, um, who thinks the crowd loves him, but they don't love you. And you're just, and then when they really turn him heel, like he came in as a babyface yeah. right around the time that Outback Jack was there. Um, he was a babyface and it flopped, but the, he was serious. The difference was they were ready to job him out, but he was like, let me give it a run as a heel because I've been a heel everywhere else. Um, let me give it a run as a heel, and if it doesn't work, then you can fire me. They they put the heat on him. They put him with Jimmy Hart, and for about three years, he's probably again a top like tip top guy. 
um, who's got and performing his own entrance song and per, all that stuff. Absolutely. And even still, when he was with Greg Valentine and that tag team, when they were rhythm and blues, and he made poor Greg Valentine dye his hair black, um, <laughs> he was still like he's leading the charge, and he he always, you know, got over immediately. And it was like, oh yeah, I remember I hate that guy. So uh, I I always give it up to uh, to Wayne Ferris, the honky tonk man, um, who was actually I always had a I always had a very hard time growing up. Uh, uh, like figuring out that the honky tonk man and Jerry Waller were in not the same person. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they're, well, they're cousins. Um, well, I, I mean, I know that now, but yeah. uh, you try to explain that to me when I was a kid, I ain't having it. Yeah. No, they, that was just they that looked, was fancy Jerry Waller to me. Cause you never saw him in the same place. At the same time. <laughs> he was the doppelganger. Jerry Waller was the king, but somehow honky tonk man was fancier than Jerry. The king yeah. Waller. He was, he was the, uh, the equivalent. Well, I mean, he's got his long sideburns and his hair slicked back. That's, listen, Waller's got sideburns too. I can see where you could get stuck there. Um, Jerry Lillard not making my countdown, by the way, because that gimmick started in the 70s. Yes. 5-4 uh, matchup. Uh, we've got the first non-wrestler in my bracket, um, Brother Love. Ooh, like it. As played by Bruce Pritchard. Um, the windbag, uh, over-the-top preacher, uh, I love you, the whole... Um, you know, he was just big with the heels, and he was like, brother, DB, brother, million dollar man, and uh, sister Sherry, and, and all of that. And he would have the, you know, he's got the red face to match the, the, the guys, the, the televangelists that were like, you know, getting in trouble on television and, and who ended up all being, for one way, shape, or form, scam artists. Um during the 80s uh, and into the 90s, uh, took over for Piper's Pit, then did the live Piper's Pit, which took way too long, at WrestleMania Five. Oh, yeah. Um, and still, and this is what's endearing today, is that he still gets trotted out on television when they're like, we want to have a backstage segment where we have a bunch of old gimmicks show up and, and fuck around. Pritchard puts the the red face paint on and the white suit, and he he hobbles around his brother Love, and um, he's again he's memorable as the very annoying presence and part time manager, corner man, whatever you want to say. Um, but every for a while there, for every week of television, he had that segment, and that segment was going to be like, what the fuck is this guy going to be doing? And uh, yeah, it's antagonizing your baby faces, or he's praising your heels. And uh, it was over, and it was uh, oh yeah, it was certainly something that like to this day you you say to a wrestling fan, hey Bruce Pritchard showing up at this uh, at this autograph session. Oh, is he going to be Brother Love? Is he going to wear his Brother Love gimmick? I hope he does. So, um, so Brother Love makes it in there. His matchup, uh, the four seed on this one, uh, the adorable Adrian Adonis. Okay, and now Adrian Adonis had been. He's a again. He was a. I don't want to say a journeyman wrestler, but he was a. Uh, he was a tag champ in uh, the AWA with Jesse Ventura. He was a tag champ with Dick Murdoch in the WWF, and then uh, was managed by Heenan. And he had the leather gimmick, where he was like the tough biker. But he had this mysterious briefcase that was on his. It was shackled to his hand, 
that's said on the outside, relax with Trudy. And the commentators would bring it up on television. Well, what's Trudy? What is Trudy supposed to be? And Ventura would be like, I'm sure it's just the name of his girlfriend. He's got girlfriends from all over the place. Um, well, Trudy ended up being the effeminate gimmick that he was going to be branded with. Uh, and he was uh, going to be off to the races from there and played sort of sort of a modern day version of uh, what Adrian exotic Adrian Street was and what gorgeous George was where um, he's wearing makeup he's saying that he came out of the closet and uh, you know he was trying to shock everybody and and get you know completely uh, the wrong kind of heat I guess if it was if it was done now it would Nowadays, be the wrong yeah. kind of heat but for that time I mean he was a main eventer. And unfortunately he put on a lot of weight and, you know, it really like it, it didn't, it didn't endear him to the office to, to be that fat and be the adorable Adrian Adaz. But it also kind of worked because it's like, well, here's this roly poly guy who thinks he's, you know, this gorgeous man and, and this sort of cross-dressing, uh, you know, anomaly. And he's, you know, he's going to rub up against Paul Orndorff who's got muscles and everything. What's Paul Orndorff going to think about this? Um, so it gave them a lot of uh, a lot of outside the lines to color, and uh, for a while there before his death, you know, from what I understand, he had lost weight and he was wrestling in all Japan, I think, or New Japan, and had gotten rid of the adorable gimmick. So you know, for its time, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty fun, and uh, yeah, I would and, say it's actually like was ahead heat. of its time. Yeah, yeah, because it got heat nowadays for the wrong reasons, for sure. Oh, they you know couldn't. I mean? do, oh, yeah. They couldn't do this. I think there's a lot of gimmicks in here. It's, you couldn't do um, nowadays. They could, but he'd sim- be a he'd be a baby face. Probably. It's very similar, yeah. or like a um, an early um, an early, I guess, prototype of like what Dalton Castle is now. Yes. yes you know what? You're almost, right. Yeah. 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 So, um, bottom half of this bracket, uh, I got four more guys in the first round here. Uh, my sixth seed is Akeem, the African Dream. Woo-hoo-hoo. There we go. Uh, I could have had there's two. A, there's a name I remember. I could have had two gimmicks for uh, the the man who played uh, Akeem because he was also the one man gang, which was the uh, loud, obnoxious biker uh, who would probably never fit on a motorcycle because of his size. But uh, in 1989, uh, his manager, <laughs> the Doctor of Style Slick, uh, took a boombox out to a uh, alleyway. <laughs> Uh, around some garbage cans and told me and Gene that uh, the one-man gang had been rechristened as Akeem the African Dream, a white man from Chicago who thought he was a black man from deepest, darkest Africa. Um, <laughs> and you know why he, you know why we thought he thought he was a black man? Because he all of a sudden adopted a black man vernacular. <laughs> hey, blood, give me some skin cringe in this day and age mike that's the extent of the impression that you're allowed to do yeah oh no no yeah oh we'll we'll get we'll get naacp is coming right after us but he would also he had the the like the hand gestures and like whoever was like i guess like you know they gave him sort of a little bit of like just do what slick does and slick was like doing these jive dances and here's yeah. fat one man gang trying to be a black man um incredibly strange and Wild. even at the time it was like 
Well, why couldn't he just be the one man gang? <laughs> like I like the one yeah, man just, gang. Yeah, just let him be what he is. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but holy shit, like it was it was so bizarre and it was like that was the type of thing where you would read about it in the magazines and um you'd hear people that were like fans of of the other uh territories and stuff say, "Well, that's a cartoon." They've got a guy who's pretending to be Dusty Rhodes, who's yeah, yeah, exactly. Also pretending to kind of talk like a black guy all the time. Yeah. Um. So it was a. Ri- it was eventually. It was. It was kind of like the conceit was that it was a rib on Dusty. Yeah. And oh, yeah. uh, it ended up being you know a main event. He was a main event guy. Like he, you know, he teamed up with um a man whose name is coming up next. As uh, the Twin Towers. I was wondering and, uh, if you were going to pin them against each in other. In this company. So I might as well uh, spill the beans. My number three is the big boss man. I mean. And again, a, a, a main guy and a main guy for a long time for them. Um, you know, we had about a, a, a six-year run, which was, for, you know, uh, of the time it was kind of like you, you'd be kind of in and out of there with a gimmick like this where you're just sort of like a um, – the big boss man was a prison guard – uh, from Cobb County, Georgia. So he might have been a little bit racist. Um, the Is that why he was a heel at first? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was... Because he was racist? And what's funny was... Well, no, he was... And, hmm, I just think I it was like... Really yeah, I really nailed that down, because, I mean... A, abusive, in, in, co- abusive cop, okay. I think, that's was... What I think that's what, was. what they were like going the for. The prison guard, like, like the guy in the longest yard that would hit you in the yes. ribs with his nightstick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, maybe I'm throwing racist around a little bit too much. But, no, uh, uh, aggressive prison guard. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start the trend. Um, not my boss man because my version of the big boss man was the one that was dragging Paul oh, White's yes. father's <laughs> coffin around, <laughs> screaming, "That's my daddy! That's my daddy!" So yeah, he so, he came back uh, in the in the late '90s, uh, early 2000s, where he was uh, less prison guard, more just militant. Uh, meddler and dad funerals more of like yeah more of like a uh um a uh, security guard of sorts yes of yes. the uh the corporation that is true that is can true. i share a quick story real quick about the big boss man the big boss man yes please so um I can't when wait. i was a three-year-old child the year is 1991 mm-hmm. um the big boss Mike had just man graduated college all right come is on. my favorite wrestler on the planet should be and he's a baby he's, he's coming to the Bergen County Mall oh, in yes. Jersey City. Hell yeah. And so my grandpa takes me to meet the big boss man. And as we're at the Bergen County Mall, we go to uh, Toys R Us. We mm-hmm. buy the big boss man wrestling buddy. Oh, the plush boy. Yeah. Yeah. The big boss man signs my wrestling oh, buddy. Shit, and, my yeah. gr- and my grandpa's like, hey, big boss man, my grandson he's you're his favorite wrestler so there's a picture of me with ray trailer and my grandpa's holding me because i'm only three years old Uh and i'm crying (laughs) crying. because i was so scared (laughs) to meet the big boss man (laughs) even though i loved him i was yeah you get intimidated by that shit Three, yeah, three-year-old Tommy shouldn't be hanging out with a uh with a Cobb county prison to to this day i still have my autographed uh you do (laughs) wrestling buddy um of the big boss man wow Tommy was the kid that cried when uh when like batman showed up to his his birthday party yeah no yeah. every time every time i met <laughs> we could go into this another time there was another time where i got a headache at a uh an um uh, 
a Madison Square Garden show. Mm-hmm. They took me backstage to get aspirin, and I walked by Stone Cold Steve Austin. I wouldn't even look at him. Oh, yeah. He's trying to talk to me. Hey, kid. Hey, kid. Hey, kid. You all right? Heard you got a bad headache. My dad's like, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I'm like, I can't I even look aspirin, at him. He'll scare the shit out of me. Uh, does Tommy want to want to talk to Stone Cold? Uh-uh. Baba. What? Baba. You got a headache? What? what? You want another headache? Oh, that's great. Some Tylenol? What? Advil? What? what? Motrin? What? Do you have a hangover from having too many young boys, Steve Weisers? That's that's a tremendous oh, I story. See. I still kind of get <laughs> starstruck. Talking I also at one point asked um, the lady that cut my hair to give me the big boss man haircut. <laughs> and my mom ixnayed that immediately. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, She's yeah. like, you can't walk around no. with a flat top. You no. look like an idiot. Yes. You're, not a, <laughs> you're four years hey, old. Uh, you're not a prison hey, guard. Tom, hey, Tommy. Tommy, I had a flat top. <laughs> wow. Hey, man, that, was works. In, that was the. Uh, I wish I had a flat top. Yeah. I wanted to be the big boss man. Yeah. I, want, I, I thought before, I was uh, before Cobb I County, Georgia. Matt, did you say that was <laughs> that was during the attitude, or did you say that was, it was during at, attitude era? Matt, when I got when, you know. Oh, attitude. That's too late, man. Or, or it, it, it only, I'm talking ninety three, ninety four. And I also for sure had a rat tail. Oh, okay. So it's more like a flatitude era. Oh, that's like a sting. <laughs> so that's like there a late '80s, early '90s. Yes, sting. I think that's what it was. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. All right, Mike. Um, All right, I I got two. Continue. Sorry, yeah, we'll keep I, the I ball didn't mean to. I got, yeah, no, I got, listen, it's tangents like this that make the show the show. I got two. I got two more here. Uh, my seven guy is uh, the Red Rooster. Yeah. Yep. Poor Terry Taylor. Uh, it's such a good uh, territory heel, and even a, like a plucky baby face. Uh, you know kind of a default Ric Flair uh, in some places. And I think like that was part of the issue is that uh, they thought he was going to be a guy is kind of a, a, a racist <laughs> and piece of shit backstage and uh, still has a job at WWF today. So hooray for Terry fucking Taylor. Um, it's imperfectly. But the, yeah, but the red rooster was a, a, a shit gimmick. My last guy uh, out of the first round, the number two seed uh, hillbilly Jim. All right. You're lovable. Love it. Hick from Mudlick, Kentucky. The uh, the the fan in the stands was his original. Um, for the first month that he was on television, it was like, hey, there's that guy who likes Hulk Hogan, and he's jaw jacking with the heels, and he's you know, and he's giving claps and high fives to the baby faces, and eventually uh, they found they called him Hillbilly Jim, which was uh, kind of mean, and. Uh, he got boots from Hulk Hogan after learning how to train, and uh, the the rocket was strapped to his ass for a little while. Like he, they were pretty over. Like the kids, kids loved him. He had the song, the don't go messing with the country boy. He had fucking Uncle Almer and the other cousin hillbillies. Uh, another guy who just lasted there a long, long time. Limited in the ring, but you put him in front like he's the number two match on the card, and they hear that. Hillbilly's Don't Go Messing with the Country Boys song, and everybody's clapping, everybody's, you know, dancing around, getting into it. Um, could never be a heel. There's never a Hillbilly Jim heel turn uh, possible because he's, again, he's kind of your big, dumb, southern country man. And, you know, there's Americana behind that, and there's, there's some, uh, you know, some really 
sort of fun elements and he would have the comedy match on the card where it'd be him against somebody like the honky tonk man or him against somebody like, uh, you know, magnificent Morocco or Piper or whoever. And those guys are flying around for hillbilly Jim because he's a big, strong guy. Um, and eventually like you can poke him in the eyes or you can tell him his shoes untied and roll him up and one, two, three. And then the fans at the end of it, well, we forgive you because the song's on and we're doing the country boy dance with you. So, um, he made a lot of money. He was apparently a very, very nice man backstage. I believe he passed away uh, recently as well. Uh, yes. So uh, kudos to Hillbilly Jim. I'm going to real fast, like not even like go through too much of the the second uh, and beyond rounds because um, we've heard everybody that, I, that I've put in here. Yeah. So um, really just going to pare this down to like who I think are the the top guy in the uh, in the non WWF bracket, and then the top guy in the WWF bracket. Out of all the guys, the Kabuki's, the the missing links, the Lord Humongouses, I I go with Kamala as my winner uh, out of the territory era side of the bracket. And the very honky, strong pick there. And the Honky Tonk Man has got to be out of the yeah. WWF because he lasted a long time with him. He was an intercontinental champion. He's a memorable character and a goofy ass character to this day. But ultimately my winner from the eighties, I think the best gimmick of the eighties, hands down Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Ooh. Yes. Yes. I very, feel very strongly about you me for a loop there, Mike, because I thought we were for sure getting Honky Talk Man there. But oh. it's still a really good pick. I think he's one of the most iconic characters. Yes, for sure. When it comes to this. Eventually, iconic character, and he went everywhere with he it. He went everywhere. That's, that's really the point is that like he got that gimmick over in every territory that he went to, and he wrestled the top guy in every scenario and every territory that, that and he was carried at. it over into the next decade and learn how to bowl <laughs> turn babyface was managed by slick who at this in point the dungeon of doom oh that's right he's in a dungeon of doom but uh but b- before he got there he learned how to bowl he learned how to talk a little bit uh slick the the former pimp who became a reverend uh, when he turned babyface, taught Kamala yep. well, where how to be a civilized before? man. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then and then Kamala ended up uh, in the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, wrestled at the Gathering of Juggalos. Uh, he was he was the Undertaker's opponent at SummerSlam '92 in Wembley Stadium. That's that yeah. is true. That, that casket match. I mean, was that the listen, casket you know- that, that was like shaped like Kamala? It had the moon and the yep. stars on it. Yeah, it had the moon and the stars. <laughs> oh, wow. oh my god! It's the only <laughs> casket that could fit a man of such such gigantic girth. proportions. That's that's true. You know, you know, you're an icon when when it comes when you know when you fast forward to the Attitude Era and The Rock is doing an impression of you. Yes, yes. <laughs> Kamala had it in spades and yeah. uh, or in spears, so to speak. So rest in peace. Rest in peace, uh, Sugar Bear Harris, uh, Big Jim Harris. He was always uh, again. He, I, I, so, I, me- I measure this by memorability, memorable uh, attributes, and that certainly was it for me. So, um, so out of the final, out of uh, going into the final four from the eighties bracket, we have Kamala. we have Kamala. Yes, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you guys would see. I think there's going to be more input, like when we get to the nineties and the two thousands, to like see if I missed any gimmicks. 
if I missed anything, they were probably either way more over, like the exactly. road, like That's the road the warriors. That's the only thing that I could think of. Or Mr. They, Perfect. Ultimate or they were Warrior. Mr. Perfect, right? Exactly. You know, I didn't right, want to yeah. put those. Those guys are exactly. are, are icons. I, I, now, th- now for reasons like that, this is why I think your list is perfect because, and no pun intended. Thank you. But um, it would like he would literally just wipe the floor. Oh yeah, with his perfect towel, yeah. and, right. and then walk into the into the finals. And too good. And now seeing how your bracket played out, I have it. It fits so well into where we're going to go next episode with what I did because excellent. it's not. No, I feel a lot more comfortable about it as well. A hundred percent. Dropkick Basement is all about comfortability. So um, we hope you, the listener, uh, are as comfortable as we are. Uh, we hope you enjoyed And again, it's always open for debate. Um, if I missed anything that the uh, that the home listener is uh, really wanted on here, uh, feel free to throw those suggestions uh, at us on Twitter at dkickbasement. Um, so you can find us there. You can look for uh, archived episodes uh, on Spotify, on iTunes, everywhere you get podcasts. So, um, uh, Mike, real quick, what, yeah, um, yeah. when is this? What's the air date on this? So the air date you know? on it. This will be uh, this coming Friday, which is the. 15th the 15th okay so um, friday the real 15th quick, speaking of um speaking of gimmicks and uh plugs mm-hmm. um go ahead hollow emo night at mcdonough's pub hollow october emo. 27th oh Featured yes finding emo come check us out yes hollow emo night uh uh mcdonough's the in, true the true gimmick of gimmicks in keyport new jersey is that yes that is very good and what do you do during hollow emo night um, you know, it's a standard emo night. Me and the, me and the band will uh, we we sing some songs. We do acoustic sets. We do live sets. We have people come up and sing with us. We have giveaways. We're gonna have a costume contest. We're gonna have like a most emo contest. It's a lot of fun. Forget the most emo. If somebody goes as a gimmick wrestler, uh, if they show up as a gimmick wrestler, you're getting a free T-shirt. I will. Yeah, I will donate uh, a trophy to them. I will find a trophy and I will give it to them. I'll just random. You know what? Here, if you show up wearing a, wearing a gimmick costume, you're gonna win this gimmick, which is Elias. Oh, there you go. I will give you the Elias uh, Funko Pop. <laughs> Very nice. I will. I'm going to carry this in my bag on that day. And well, if you show up wearing a wrestling outfit, you get one. That's right. That's right. It's got to be a gimmick. You're not wrestles Macho Man Randy right, Savage. Just, no, no, no. Yeah. No. Um, I don't want. I don't want uh, Mr. Belaya pulling up. If somebody shows up as Lasertron, I mean, yeah, by that um, time. The finals of this tournament may have aired. That's true. So yes, I I feel like if you let's not pigeonhole it as eighties is what you're saying. <laughs> if you show up as the winner of the tournament, oh, that's yeah. how you oh, win. Then you, then the I know. Pop. I mean, you win the like. I I'll. That's I'll, how we know you're a true list. That's a secret surprise. That's a secret surprise answer. Yes, yeah. you're getting a free large pie. Yeah. For sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Also, spread the word. <laughs> spread if you if you're if you're that intent on listening to the show, winning a Funko Pop and maybe a free pizza. Spread the word about this uh, about this podcast uh, to whoever, yeah, whomever but, um, it may concern. You know, thanks everybody for the support as always with uh, not only all my stuff but the podcast stuff, and you know, yeah. it's much appreciated. All right, so um, so the next time you hear us uh, in a couple weeks, it will be uh, Tommy's turn to uh, to knock out the '90s. Now that we know what his criteria is, we get right into the super nuts of it, and uh, we hope you guys have a great night. Uh, so on behalf of myself, Mike Madden. Uh, for Tommy Schultz, our uh, our host for the next episode, and for uh, Matt Geiger, our host for the third in this trilogy, uh, have a great night and uh, rock and roll with those uh, with those gimmicks. <laughs>